Give me back tomorrow Taking all that I can stand Throw the weight of the world From the palm of your hand Gather round the fire Together we will rise Keep your feet on the ground Good morning and welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette of Informed Choice Washington. And today is my last day hosting this particular show. I want to say thank you so much to Dina Marie, who is the Dina Marie of Lift Your Spirits Radio, for giving me this fantastic opportunity to fill in over the past few months on some Fridays and helping me learn the ropes of radio. I'm very, very pleased to announce that beginning next Friday, 4 p.m., I and Informed Choice Washington will be hosting our very own show. It will be called An Informed Life Radio every Friday, 4 p.m. on the airways in Seattle by podcast. we're going to be bringing to you cutting edge health and wellness science, just like I've been doing over the past few months here on Lift Your Spirits. In age, when the when the term misinformation is being used to silence criticism and debate, an informed life radio is going to be presenting the missing information. And we're going to be challenging listeners to question what they currently believe about health and about wellness to research deeply, to think critically in order for them to live informed lives. So today my guest is Dr. David Brownstein, who's Zooming to us uh, from his hometown in Michigan, where he has a thriving practice, uh, has been for several decades now. Um, He's going to be giving us some very important information that is completely missing from mainstream media. And this is alarming, and I think in some ways criminal, that needs to be Um, really addressed. Uh, He's going to bring us details of nutrient and oxygen protocols that have helped all of the patients at his clinic so far recover from COVID-19. But first, I want to introduce you a little bit to sort of the theme of what's going on here and really what's at heart of why we're in crisis here with COVID-19. So I have in my hand a book that Dr. Brownstein wrote, this fabulous book called Drugs That Don't Work and Natural Therapies That Do. And I'm gonna read a little from the foreword. The foreword actually was written by Dr. Jonathan Wright, who's right here in the Puget Sound region. A lot of you may know him. He's at the Tahoma Clinic. Um, he's been a leading edge of natural um, and, and integrative protocols, protocols for a very long time. So Dr. Wright says, some aspects of medicine and healthcare have made enormous progress over the last hundred years. Surgical improvements and innovations have enabled life-saving procedures not even imagined a century ago. Much more accurate diagnoses are possible with modern diagnostic equipment. Emergency medicine and trauma care in 2009 is vastly superior to that of even three or four decades ago. But there's one aspect of medicine where very little, if any, overall progress has been made since the early 1900s. In this part of medicine, it's time to recognize the problem and simply start over again. What part of medicine is this? It's the entire field of, quote, drug therapy. 
For 100 years, mainstream medicine has been spinning its wheels while using drug therapy to suppress symptoms, but making very little progress towards real health improvement. How can this be? Aren't modern drugs the very best therapy? We're constantly bombarded with propaganda telling us the wonders of the most recently approved drugs, frequently followed a few years later by exposés of the initially well-hidden, often lethal hazards of these same drugs. But we're not ever told that the entire concept of, quote, drug therapy is a blind alley, a dead-end road, a century-old illusion. Using drugs and expecting them to truly improve the long-term function of your body is like putting water, alcohol, orange juice, or any other liquid except motor oil into your car's engine and expecting it to work smoothly for as long as it would with motor oil. Your car's engine is not designed for work to work for its intended lifetime with anything except motor oil, and your body is not designed to work for its lifetime with drugs in it. What are 21st century therapeutic drugs anyway? At present and for the last 100 years, almost all therapeutic drugs have been patented molecules. In the 19th century, th this sort of drug was called a patent medication and routinely ridiculed. Since the law says that only molecules never found in human bodies or in nature can be patented drugs, patent medicines, must um, they must be molecules never ever naturally found in you or me or nature or even on planet Earth. Unfortunately, mainstream medicine has been trying to improve the health of earthly human bodies by using molecules never found in human bodies or on our planet for approximately the last 100 years. It's time to start over again, this time with natural medicine, which works with molecules found in our bodies or in nature, amino acids, essential fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, botanicals, and many others, which actually help our bodies repair themselves as bodies are designed to do rather than just suppressing symptoms. The natural approach, also called alternative, holistic, complementary, and integrative medicine, works with the substance, substances of which our bodies are made. What could be more logical? And as Dr. Brownstein writes, it's also very effective and much safer than those extraterrestrial drugs. And with that, I'm going to welcome our special guest, Dr. Brownstein. Um, to the show. He's zooming to us from Michigan. Oh, I already said that. Okay, so I guess I'm just going to bring him on. Say hello, Dr. Brownstein. Thank you for having me, Bernadette. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Um, so that's just one of the 15 books that you've written on the subject of natural and holistic medicine. Um, how many years have you been in practice now? I've been in practice um, over 25 years. And I didn't start off with this holistic bend. You know, I started off wanting to go to medical school, model after my family doctor and buying everything I was taught and practicing it. And um, it took about six months before I anxiety came out of the blue to me and I couldn't sleep for a couple of nights. And I remember getting up and um, getting ready to go to work and telling my wife, blurting it out, you know, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And, you know, I'd been six months into it. And, you know, she first said, what's wrong? And I'm like, people aren't getting better. They're, I'm just treating with these drugs that don't really treat 
problems and I'm having to use more drugs to treat problems from the first drugs. And I literally can't do this for the next 30 years. And she said, well, why don't you do another residency? And I'm like, I'm not doing another one of those. One was enough. And they're all the same anyways. She said, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, I didn't know. We had $90,000 in student loans. It's all I wanted to do was be a family doctor. And then I realized I, I wasn't helping people doing the conventional approach. And around that time, um, the shorter version of the story is a patient gave me a book, Healing with Nutrition. It was Jonathan Wright's book. Oh, um, wow. And he wrote in that book, you know, I, I took the book home and it was my first exposure to anything alternative from what I was taught in medical school. And I read the chapter on cardiovascular disease three times that night. My dad had his first heart attack at 40, his second heart attack at 42. He, over the next 20, little over 20 years, he had continual angina. Um, he was on 12 different medications for diabetes and hypertension and angina um, and heart disease and cholesterol stuff. You know, it was 12 different medications for everything. He looked terrible. He was pale and pasty. We all thought he was going to die at any moment. And we were all just waiting for the phone call that he died. So I read the chapter on heart disease. I called my dad in the office the next day. And I was, I was literally after not sleeping for two nights beforehand because of this anxiety just popped up out of nowhere. And I said to, you know, I said, you know, I want to draw some blood tests on you. So I drew two levels on him. I drew his thyroid levels and his testosterone levels based on what I read in that book. And his testosterone levels were below detectable limits. No one had bothered to check it. And his thyroid levels, I drew a whole panel. No one had bothered to check that before. And they were in the reference range, but in the lower part of the reference range. So I put my dad, well, as soon as I got the results back, I put my dad on a small amount of natural thyroid hormone and natural testosterone. And within seven days, his angina melted away and never returned. Within 30 days, his cholesterol in the 300s on medication fell below 200 without changing any of his bad habits. And my dad had a lot of, could eat, could eat like the best of them out there. Um, and he, his um, blood pressure fell. He went from pale and pasty looking to pink and healthier looking. He could do things without, he didn't have angina, so he could do things again. And once I saw the changes in my dad, I knew that's what I wanted to do in medicine. And I was negotiating a buy-in for a partnership in this practice. I, I went to the partners and said, you know, I, I'm going to leave. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be a partner. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go do holistic medicine. And they said, why don't you do it here? And I'm like, no, it's not going to work in a practice like this. I need to do my own. And they said, how are you going to do it? I'm like, I don't know. And, um, you know, I took the leap. And it was the best leap I ever took. It's 25 years later or so, you know, a little bit longer than that. And um, as you said, I've written 15 books. I just write about what works in my practice. And I not only have I not looked back, I've looked forward and um, still learning, still working at it. And it's really, as Jonathan Wright said in the foreword to that book, you know, when you use the right molecules for people and give the body um, things that it's used to and it has receptors for it and knows how to deal with. And it, it can do pretty wonderful things when you give the body what it needs. Um, versus drugs that primarily, you know, what I wrote in that book is, you know, drugs work by poisoning the enzymes and blocking receptors. I mean, that's the mechanism. And th there's a, certainly a time in medicine to poison enzymes and block receptors, such as an acute heart attack or an acute stroke. Um, 
you know, I want to be in the nearest emergency room that's skilled with knowing how to treat those things. I mean, we've done pretty remarkable things over the years with strokes and heart attacks and other acute conditions. But chronic care has been a real disaster in medicine um, because we're using the wrong medications. And, you know, we take more drugs than anyone on the face of the earth. And we finish last in every health outcome um, compared to every Western country. And this COVID thing that has strangled us right now is a perfect example of the what's wrong in our country. You know, our, our healthcare is a disaster. Our health is a disaster. And COVID never should have been able to take this foothold and, and take us down like it has. And it should be a wake-up call. And unfortunately, you don't hear any wake-up calls. You, all you hear about is wait for the vaccine, wait for the vaccine while people are in the ICUs and dying and sick and, you know, our economy shuttered when there's therapies that work. And, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. And um, if, if people go into COVID healthier, they're going to come out of COVID, you know, without complications, without problems. And um, that's been my experience with my patients. Yeah, that I, I love your journey. And um, I am so grateful for your wife, for being supportive in your decision early on, and for you, you being know, brave. <laughs> let me interrupt you for that. So, so when I was making that decision, she was pregnant with our first child. And so here I am going to be a partner in this practice. And I tell them I'm leaving. And, you know, I, I didn't know if this was going to work. I mean, I had no clue, you know, to holistic medicine. I tried something on my dad. Since driving on my dad, every patient gets a hormonal nutritional evaluation, mm. same as I did with my father. And that's been the case. But she was she was great through all this. Never, you know, she never, I said to her, look, if it doesn't work, I'll work in the ERs at night. I can, can do after hours care. And, you know, I did urgent care and emergency room care at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was certainly a rock. And it's been a rock through this COVID crisis, which was stressful enough for me. Family is so very important through the entire journey of life. And, and it's, I'm so grateful that you, you do have a great supportive family. What has really been frustrating for you, me, and millions of people around the world is we've been seeing um, people like Dr. Tony Fauci and Secretary of Health Weisman here in Washington State and our governor stand at podiums and say, we got nothing. We got nothing. You all just have to cower in your homes, mask up with ineffective masks that are actually transmitting the disease by the way people are using it because we got no drug, we got no drug, no cure and no vaccine. So, you know, this is all we have. And we're screaming, wait a minute, every single person on this planet has an immune system and we know the molecules, the vitamins, the nutrients that can help that immune system overcome just about anything if it's you know if if the if you get them to them on time and you know even if you do western treatment you go to the hospital the drugs aren't curing you the drugs might be suppressing a symptom that got out of control so that your immune system can continue to heal you it's always your immune system no matter what route you take Um, but it makes so much more sense to early rather than later bring on those nutrients and products to have your immune system be absolutely ready to deal with whatever um, comes along. And so let's, let's talk about your wonderful new paper that was just published. Um, hold on. Where's my title of it? I got it printed. Just a sec. I, I can show you. I've got it printed too. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I got my copy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm going to start carrying it around with me and just showing it to people. Um, so it's a novel approach to treating COVID-19 using nutritional and oxidative therapies. And your name and all of the practitioners in your office as co-authors on, on here. Um, so go ahead, set the stage. Tell us about so, this paper. So here I'll tell you about the paper. Um, so I, I shouldn't have to tell you because we know where COVID started, you know, um, started in your area and we were all watching, you know, I was, I was blogging about this from the beginning and um, I've had a blog for years and years. Of course, I don't have a blog now because the FTC has shut me down, but we'll talk about that. Okay. But so I was blogging about COVID from the beginning from when China announced they had um a few cases of abnormal pneumonias and they felt it was a different virus that was causing it. And I think that was before they even knew it was coronavirus. They just reported an abnormal pneumonia situation that seems to be transmissible between patients. So, you know, I followed it from the beginning. I was blogging from the beginning. And when it hit Seattle, um, I knew it was coming across the country. I mean, this was a, a new virus that we would have very little immunity to. Um, and I had a meeting with my staff and um, I believe it hits, I believe it hits your area in February um, and it hit us beginning of March. So in the middle of February, you know, everyone's on edge. You can feel it in the practice. You feel it at the grocery stores. Yeah. I felt it with my patients and I definitely felt it with my staff. Everyone's a little scared and, you know, we don't know what's happening and this is new for us. And we see what's going on in Seattle and, you know, we hear from those doctors, they don't know how to treat it and they're doing their best. And um, so I have the meeting at the end of Thursday, which is the end of our week. And I tell the staff that I've been in practice for 28 years. Um, and I said the first 27 years in a few months were, were really practice for this. And I said, we've been treating flus and viruses and influenza like illnesses for 27 and a half years, the same way with little tweaks as we learn things. But basically the protocol in that paper that you and I showed is the same thing we've been doing for 27 plus years. And our patients don't end up hospitalized. They don't end up with pneumonia and they don't die in any appreciable amounts. Nothing like the statistics show that 20 to 80,000 people die from influenza and influenza-like illnesses per year. Um, and so I said, I think we've got this covered. Um, and I did say to them, look, this is a new virus. It could respond differently, but I said, I don't see any reason why we've dealt with coronaviruses before. We never tested for them because there were no tests for them. Um, but I assumed that we were treating coronaviruses because they were always part of the influenza like virus organisms that were infecting us every year. And, you know, I tried to reassure my staff, we have really good therapies. And I said, our patients are going to do fine with this and you're going to do fine with this. And then Corona hit Detroit um, a few weeks later. And we were one of the hotspots with New York and New Jersey. And, you know, we were, hospitals were overflowing. The, the ICUs were full. People were getting ventilated. The deaths were mounting. You know, the, the, I think the current death rate from uh, ventilators is it's over 85%. You know, if they ventilate you, you're 85% chance you're going to die from this thing. So the... News media was, you know, constant at the time, and they, you know, doctors were were clear: don't go to the emergency room unless you have to. 
they can't do much. They didn't know what to do. And they were trying their best. And, you know, so we start getting our first cases of COVID. And we start with an oral therapy regimen of vitamins A, C, D, and iodine. And the reason each of these were chosen is they help to, they help to support the immune system. They help to prevent um, cytokine storm and, you know, an overreactive immune system. And they help the immune system do what it's supposed to do when we get exposed to these foreign invaders. They, they marginalize them and take care of them and remove them. And so we, we popped all our patients on a high dose of vitamin A, C, D, and iodine for four days. We put them on nebulized hydrogen peroxide from the beginning. Um, and we use a dilute solution of, of nebulized hydrogen peroxide. Um, not the stuff at CVS, the brown bottle stuff, but you buy food grade and you dilute it down because it's a little more pure. And then if they got, if they needed more support or they weren't improving on this, we would give them IVs of hydrogen peroxide, vitamin C, and butt, B-U-T-T, butt shots of ozone. And the reason they were butt shots, because we do ozone in our practice and we do IV, we do a bunch of different ways you can give ozone in. We didn't want these people in our office, in our, in our physical building, because I was worried about my staff and transmitting it to my staff. So we went out in the parking lot in March. My partner and I, a couple of nurses in full gear, full protective gear, and you know, it was snowing in Michigan in March. And I remember there's a snowstorm going on and I'm trudging out there and there's snow on my face shield and I'm shaking it like a dog so I could see the vein and they're holding their arm out the car window. You know, we'd have them put the car window down, just put their hand out there and we'd pop IVs in them. And if one of us couldn't get the IV, we would take turns and another one would do it. And at the beginning of this, it was incredibly stressful. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get sick. I didn't know if my staff, my nurses were going to get sick. I didn't know if my partner was going to get sick. I'm a terrible patient to get sick with, <laughs> with pneumonia or, or COVID. I have scoliosis with lung involvement. Oh, I, I thought you meant you were a bad patient. You just meant that you've oh, got complications. <laughs> I'm not, of course, I'm a doctor and, and a male, and I'm not a good patient either. But I have scoliosis with lung involvement. I have asthma, and I have no immunoglobulin A which 1% of the population has. So I'm not the best candidate to get sick with this thing. So I was, I was scared, but you know what? I didn't even cross my mind not to do it this way and not to keep the office open and not to go out and treat patients. And I felt, I told the staff at that meeting that um, I'm staying, I said, whoever wants to stay can stay. You know, there's no, no one will be looked down at, no one will lose their job. And I said, if all of you want to leave, I will do, I will treat as many patients as I can treat. And, and I'm, I'm treating them until either I get sick or they won't let me treat them. Um, so, you know, we did it. And, you know, at the beginning it was scary. And then we saw our patients improving, just like they improved for the last 27 plus years, mm -hmm. the exact same way. Now, these patients were a little bit sicker. They, there was a lot more breathing problems than we've seen in the past. And when they got sick, they got really sick. So we, you know, we haven't quite seen the level of sickness from the other flus as we saw with this one, but they responded the exact same way. They got better. They got better very quickly. And in the study, I have the, the chart showing, you know, most of them got better within a couple of days and, you know, they were almost all completely better within seven days. And we had some very sick patients who were referred to us by other doctors that were either in the hospital before us or they weren't improving and they were told just stay home, you know, as long as you can stay home. Um, and, we weren't sure they were going to make it. Um, and they were pulse oxing in the eighties. Um, and, um, but they got better too. So we, we treated 107 patients 
we had one patient hospitalized and he's still a good story for us too. But, uh, and we had no, no deaths, no, um, no, no one needed a ventilator. Um, and then after the study was published, I've still treated a couple of more patients, you know, we'd be, uh, just with my patients, I'd be 110 right now. I'm sure my partners have treated a few also since then, but you know, this played out just like it's played out for the last 27 and a half years. So that's why I say it was truly practicing medicine for 27 and a half years for something like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was, it was scary. It was a little exciting. It was a little you know, remarkable feeling. And, you know, my, my partner and I both say that, um, you know, this is a highlight of our career. I mean, this is, this was, you know, something that we've and it, it worked and, you know, we're, we're all, and you know, I never claimed we were curing COVID or cu- cu- curing coronavirus. What I claimed was we were supporting the immune system and allowing people to get over this. Because if you look at the statistics for a coronavirus, um, I don't have them directly in my head. I saw them this morning, like 300 and some odd thousand. Um, um, oh, no, no, we have 140,000 deaths, something like that from coronavirus right now. And we have 3 million cases and they say there's recovered. Well, you re- consider recovered if it's been over 30 days and you're still alive from coronavirus. So how do you think these people recovered? They recovered because of their immune system. Mm-hmm. So since you brought up Dr. Fauci, you know, I wrote an article which I haven't published yet. And the article is titled, you know, Dr. Fauci, what about the immune system? Or why aren't you yeah. talking about the immune system? All you talk about is We need masks and social distancing and wait for the vaccine. Well, people are still getting sick. People are still ICU'd and people are still ventilated and dying. Um, I think we need a little bit more than that. And if you think the vaccine's going to work, you better have a good immune system because if the immune system doesn't respond appropriately to the vaccine, the vaccine ain't going to work. Just just like the immune system doesn't respond appropriately to COVID. So where's the talk about the immune system? I, I think we need new leadership and we need some new dialogue and um yeah you 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 get complete agreement uh from me on that and we're gonna have to uh take a quick break here but um when we get back i want i want to continue right there and then i want to go in um to the specifics of your protocol to explain to listeners you know why this works why vitamin c a and zinc and exactly what they do um i think they would love to hear that and feel empowered um with that knowledge to understand what they're doing so you are listening to a lift your spirits radio on 11:50 a.m kknw i'm bernadette pedro with dr brownstein and we'll be back in a few minutes Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. 
Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. So you know, all healing begins in the cells, and for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. We all know that vitamin C is an essential nutrient our immune system needs. But did you know there's scientific evidence that vitamin C can be used safely and effectively to boost your body's immune system to fight infections? To learn how you can live life to the fullest, find the vitamin C expert, Dr. Paul Anderson, on Instagram and Facebook by searching DRA online or visit at consultdranderson.com today. Did you know that 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut lining? Ion Gut Health goes beyond probiotics to strengthen this barrier and balance your microbiome the natural way. This soil-derived supplement is scientifically proven to reinforce your first line of defense, keeping harmful foreign particles out of your bloodstream. Maintain a healthy immune system so that it can protect you when you need it most. Support your immune system with Ion Gut Health. Learn more at ionbiome.com. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Turn away, no, no, don't go back. Next train's coming down the track. Whoever you are, whatever it takes, we will stand free. Welcome back to 1150 AM KKNW, Lift Your Spirits Radio in Seattle. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, and with me is Dr. Brownstein. So on the break, we were just, we were all over the place. You know, um, these conversations are so important, um, person to person, across the state, uh, around the world, keeping in touch with each other, the free flow of information, the empowering of the individual, of the individual doctor, you know, to uh, empower yourself to know how you want to heal and doctors need to be freed to practice medicine. Um, so let's just dig right in here. I've got the list. Uh, I love the way your study is laid out. Your study um, uh, has like a table of contents that goes through the vitamins. So let's just hit on each and let's start with vitamin A. It's the first in the list. And I want to tell you real quick that I, I attended a webinar online recently through uh, the NFIAD 
D, I think it's called. I can't remember what those stand for, but it's a group that sounds like a federal agency, but it's it's really not. It's heavily pharma funded. But they were talking about measles. And um, and they were amazingly saying how important vitamin A is and how big a dose you would need. And they said that they have discovered that it's not just that somebody is vitamin A deficient, and that's why they get a bad case of measles if it goes around. They said that the measles itself depletes the vitamin A. So if, so if you are fine and healthy, like in a Western country, and you get the measles, you should bring in vitamin A on board because you're going to be using it. And so I think that's really important. So people need to have these nutrients on board to be resistant. But once you get sick and your body begins to use these, you probably want to bring more on board, right? So vitamin A. Excellent. And um, that's why you want to be healthy going into an illness and have adequate levels because you are going to deplete vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, iodine, all the stuff that we're using. It's going to be depleted. Um, so vitamin A was chosen years and years ago. That was one of our original things for viral infections because of the measles work. I saw it. Um, I read the mechanism of how it worked. Vitamin A supports both the innate and the adaptive side of the immune system. And it's, it protects against an overreactive immune system where it goes into overdrive and, you know, it's, it starts, you know, attacking itself and, you know, doing terrible things to the body because it's so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the treatment for measles was found surreptitiously from an eye doctor who went to Africa to um, treat, you know, find out, you know, look at people and see if he could help their, their eyesight. And what he found was that when, um, you know, that their vitamin A requirements, the vitamin A levels were on the lower side anyways, but when they got sick with, with, uh, viral and bacterial and parasitic illnesses, their vitamin A levels dumped out. And when they gave them vitamin A, if they could survive, you know, they can get milder cases of these illnesses and they wouldn't die. That's how it all came about. I can't, I can't recall his name right now, but, um, you know, so, so vitamin A was one of the original things that we started with viral illnesses. And there, there used to be, and they still like in mainstream, they'll, they'll really caution about the dangers of taking uh, vitamin A. Can you speak on that? Vitamin A is a fat soluble vitamin. The fat soluble vitamins are vitamin A, D, E, and K. So these things can build up on the body. The water soluble vitamins, the like vitamin C, you can take vitamin C, you'll just get rid of it. It's excess doses. It doesn't build up on the body. But vitamin A can become toxic. I've had one patient get toxicity in vitamin A, took it for a long, long time at, at high doses. But, you know, my protocol was four days, four days of 100,000 units a day for an adult, you know, and, and smaller amounts for children. Um, and people don't get toxic on, you know, four-day dosing of vitamin, all these supplements that I'm talking about. And, um, you know, there's a long history with vitamin A with, viral and bacterial illnesses they they thought vitamin a when they first discovered it was it was actually an antibiotic and they found that it worked on so many different viral illnesses they didn't really know the difference between viruses and bacteria quite they weren't quite certain back in the early 20th century but when vitamin a was discovered they they called it an antibacterial Hmm. substance um and you know later found out it wasn't really an antibacterial substance but it was an essential element we can't live without Unfortunately, our food supply is really low in vitamin A. 
And just like everything, our, our minerals and our vitamins have been declining in our food supply over the last 40 years. And you know, when we eat all these processed foods, we don't get the proper vitamins and minerals from it. That's why I think people need to supplement these days. And with our toxic world and exposure to all these toxins, we use up all these vitamins and minerals too, you know, at a quicker rate. So this was a four day course, but I have my patients supplement with smaller doses of vitamin A on a daily basis. So they're ready for when an illness like this happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, and then let's move, I guess, uh, to down the alphabet here, vitamin C. So vitamin C, um, you know, we, we remember with any vitamin except D, we can't make it in our body. So it's an essential element we can't live without. Um, Vitamin C's got a long history with scurvy. You know, when, when you when you go through four years of medical school and the first two years are studying and tests every week, you'd think you'd learn about these things, but you really don't. I remember in medical school, I had a three-hour lecture on nutrients, and that was it. And the nutrients basically said vitamin C deficiency causes scurvy. Symptoms of scurvy are bleeding blood vessels, bleeding gums, teeth falling out. Um, and that was it. They never talked about, well, Maybe you don't have scurvy, but maybe you got lower levels of vitamin C, you know, subacute scurvy. Um, but we've been checking vitamin C levels, my partners and I, for over 25 years in our practice. And most people have suboptimal vitamin C levels. They don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. Um, processed foods will cause you to use up vitamin C, you know, whatever is in your body. And we don't store vitamin C, so it's just kind of used as we as we need it and then we need a daily supply of it. So um, I've told people for years to take three to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day on a daily basis, as long as they don't get loose stools, because that's about the real one real side effect of vitamin C. And that's an amount to concentrate the red and white blood cells. And the white blood cells, which are part of our innate immune system, the first responders to you know, an infectious illness, um, actually need vitamin C to produce hydrogen peroxide to kill these foreign invaders. Um, so three, three to 5,000 milligrams seems to saturate the red and white blood cells. I think that's a good amount for a daily dose. But when people are sick, their vitamin C requirements, just like you said, for vitamin A and the rest of them go up. And so they need more. How much more? Well, um, I tell people to take about 1,000 milligrams an hour as long as they can tolerate it and not get loose stools or stomach upset or something, and just take it while they're awake and keep a continuous supply going. Now, if they need more than that, that's where we use intravenous doses of vitamin C. But the, those were in the minority of our patients. In the study, I think it was in the, you know, we had 107 patients. I think it was, I don't have the chart in front of me, but 30, 30 or 40 people got IV therapies. You know, most people, we did this orally. So we had them use a thousand milligrams of ascorbic acid every hour while they were awake. And so they would use between 10 to 20,000 milligrams a day orally, uh, along with that hundred thousand units of vitamin A for, and these were all four day dosings. Mm-hmm. Right. At, at the first sign of symptoms. First sign of symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, so then vitamin D. So vitamin D is, is a little bit misnamed because to be a vitamin, it should be not produced in our body and it's an essential element that we can't live without or and if we don't get enough in, we'll eventually die from. But vitamin D, we can produce in our bodies. We produce it in our skin when ultraviolet light hits the skin and cholesterol is transformed into vitamin D. Um, but Did, Okay, you just said something that just has my brain swirling. 
Um, I, you know, I've been thinking for a long time and everybody else has too, we get less um, sun exposure. So we're making less vitamin D people slather on sunblock and, and, you know, and then always wash that off. You're getting less vitamin D, but now you're telling me that cholesterol transforms into vitamin D and people take medication to lower their cholesterol. Could that be impacting their vitamin D levels? Well, I have a book called The Statin Disaster because yes, <laughs> it's a it's a disaster what's happened and these cholesterol lowering medications are causing major problems. And one of them is related to vitamin D and we're seeing this rampant vitamin D deficiency across our population. Now the best way to get vitamin D in is ultraviolet light hits your skin and you make vitamin D. Um, now we've been we've been conditioned to wear sunscreen whenever we're outside and I've we didn't use sunscreen on my kids. I don't use sunscreen. I live in a lake. We have nice summers in Michigan with lots of sun and lots of warmth. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I, I saw I saw a dermatologist as a patient, and you know, she saw me for her problems. And then at the end of it, I said to her, "Can I ask you a few questions?" And she said yes. And I said, "Does the sun cause skin cancer?" Yes, sun causes skin cancer. Should people avoid the sun at all times? Yes, always cover up or wear sunscreen. Never let sun hit your skin. And I said, she was my age, and I just saw her recently. And I said, well, well, when we were kids, we didn't have computers. We didn't have 120 TV channels. We had four TV channels, no computers. We were outside in the summer. You know, you're, you're, my mother kicked us out. We were outside from breakfast to lunch and lunch till dinner, and then usually dinner till sunset. And um, no one wore sunscreen because they didn't have sunscreen. I don't recall an epidemic of skin cancers back then and my parents or my grandparents, you know, where were they? Now we got an epidemic of skin cancers. So I said to her, I, I explained this to her and I said, so show me the studies where sunscreen prevents skin cancer. And she goes, well, we know the sun causes skin cancer. I'm like, we're using more sunscreen than ever. We have more skin cancers than ever. The, the, show me a study. And she said, there's not a study. So now <laughs> we're knowing the sunscreen gets in your bloodstream, you know, the chemicals and they have estrogen. They have uh, hormonal effects that are negative for our body. But anyways, the yeah. best, <laughs> way, best way to get vitamin D in is with, with the sun, you know, hitting your skin. Now, in my climate and your climate, it's not so great for that either because you guys get a lot of rain and cloud cover. But we, we, we get sun for about three to four months of the year. And then we go, you know, the sun is too far in the sky lateral to give us enough exposure to make vitamin D. So my patients are, have been supplemented with vitamin D since the early 1990s. And um, then when they get sick at the first sign of an illness, I've told them for 20, over 25 years to use 50,000 units of vitamin D a day for four days, the first sign of anything, and then go back to their routine dose. Now, if you're gonna use vitamin D, it's vitamin D3, the active, the natural form of vitamin D, not the synthetic form, vitamin D2, which is prescription item that a lot of doctors prescribe. That should be avoided. That's not as, as effective. Yeah, nature is, is always best. Uh, let's move on to iodine. Well, one last thing with vitamin D. Vitamin D, like vitamin A and vitamin C, they, they prevent cytokine storm. They support the immune system. They support the white blood cells. They help them do their job. They help the T cells do their job. You know, I, in that paper, I go through all those mechanisms of, of how these things work on the immune system to help. And they, they all pretty much do the same thing. So these were all standard things for you know 25 plus years that we've been doing, and iodine. 
Now, iodine, I, I learned about, I, I knew about iodine at the beginning of my career because I was diagnosing people with a lot of thyroid problems after treating my dad. And I couldn't figure out why so many people need a thyroid hormone to, to really feel their, their best. And I, I thought we weren't designed by our maker to have to take thyroid hormone just because we're getting older. So I would try the various um, factors that support thyroid function, um, such as, you know, B vitamins and selenium and magnesium and iodine. Um, the highest concentration of iodine in the body is in the thyroid gland. It concentrates in all the glandular tissues of the body. In 2000, and, um, in 2000, I ran across an article in one, and I would try iodine over the years on and off with people. And it wasn't my original thing for viral illnesses. And it wasn't my original thing for thyroid. Um, I would try it, but it never seemed to work. And I, you know, it just was frustrated with it. It wasn't a test for it. And then in, in 2000, I saw an article where a doctor had developed a test for iodine. I called him. He was in California. He became real interested in me because I was in Michigan, which is known as the goiter belt of the United States. We have one of the lowest iodine areas in the entire world in our soil. And um, so we started testing my patients and I found 97, over 97% were deficient in iodine. Most of them markedly deficient in iodine. And when I learned more about iodine, I found iodine deficiency can cause thyroid problems, breast problems, ovarian problems, uterine problems, pancreatic problems, um, the, and prostate problems. And what are we seeing in our modern world? We're seeing one in seven women with breast cancer. Thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer. One in three men with prostate cancer. Pancreatic cancer growing at epidemic rates. Ovarian, uterine cancer growing at epidemic rates. And my premise and my research has been since 2000 that a, a big part of that is from iodine deficiency. Well, it's not just for glandular problems and cancer problems. Every cell in the body needs and requires iodine. The immune system needs and requires iodine. Iodine is used by white blood cells to make hydrogen peroxide similar to vitamin C to fight foreign invaders. Um, it's used on both sides, the adaptive and the innate immune system. Um, we, every cell in the body needs and requires iodine. So I started using iodine heavily in my practice in 2000. And, you know, after testing 7,000 people between me and my partners, our numbers are consistent. Over 97% are deficient in iodine. The only ones that really aren't are the ones that have read my book and they're taking iodine coming into the practice. Yeah. So iodine has been there since 2000 and those are the four oral therapies. So it's high and, and the dose of iodine for viral infection was 25 to 50 milligrams uh, for four days. If they're already on 25 milligrams, I have them bump it up to 50. Whatever they're on, I have them double their dose. If they're not on iodine, I usually tell people 25 milligrams a day for four days, you know, the first scratch, throat, fever, cough, whatever it is. And those are the therapies that, that help the most people with this COVID thing. And um, you said something really interesting to me um, that iodine helps your body make hydrogen peroxide. I believe you said most of us are familiar with a little brown bottle that you can get at the grocery store. Um, I had no idea. I've, I've learned a lot in this COVID chaos. You just taught me that the body naturally makes hydrogen peroxide. I learned a couple Every months ago. Cell, all the white blood cells make hydrogen peroxide. Make a lot of it when you're sick. And, what they're, and it's made in the lungs when you're sick. Wow. And so part of the, you know, that's why I nebulize hydrogen peroxide. You know, I have them, that's, that's part, I guess part A would be the oral stuff. Part B would be the nebulized stuff. 
So we nebulize a dilute solution of hydrogen peroxide and saline. Um, and um, it's, you know, a nebulizer, a nebulizer means you put it into mist and asthmatics nebulize asthma medication so they can open up their airways and breathe. Well, you can nebulize a dilute solution of hydrogen peroxide. And what, it, what I think it does is give the lungs a needed source of hydrogen peroxide so it can fight foreign invaders, as well as our experience with it and people have COPD and lung cancer and other problems, it seems to help the lungs detoxify and, and clean out. And they, you know, people do much better when they nebulize on a daily basis, and particularly when they nebulize when they're sick. So we have them start nebulizing. If you're, if you're not sick and you want to prophylax, I tell people to nebulize with the hydrogen peroxide saline mixture, you know, once or twice a day. At the first sign of anything, nebulize every hour until you feel better. If you're already sick, nebulize every waking hour till you feel better, and then you can back off with it. The one guy who was hospitalized, I mentioned, you know, at the beginning, mm -hmm. he was on the oral stuff. He got, he got worse, couldn't breathe, went to the hospital. Diagnosed him with pneumonia, bilateral pneumonia, put him on antibiotics for a week. He gets discharged. He can't breathe still. But they, their hospital beds in Michigan, Detroit here, were full with COVID patients. He wanted out of the hospital. They weren't doing anything for him except the IV antibiotics, and and they wanted him out of the hospital. They told him that, you know, you're, you're, you're not sick enough. We have sicker patients that need your bed. Mm -hmm. So they sent him home. He calls me up, and he said, I can't breathe. And he's got a pulse ox machine. He's reading between 88 and 90. Now, in the hospital, when he went in, he was reading 85 to 80. Um, but, he, you know, 88 to 90 percent um, in a pulse ox is not a good place to be. You don't feel good. And you're gasping for air. So in the middle of our conversation, you know, he says to me, you know, he starts crying and he says, I'm going to die. Um, thought I was going to die in the hospital. Now I know I'm going to die at home. So I said to him, you're not going to die. You need to nebulize. And he, I said, why don't you come in? I'll meet you in the parking lot. We'll do the IVs. We'll give you the nebulizer and get going. He says, I can't travel. Can't get in the car. So I said, all right, have your wife come. And we didn't let her in the office because she was around him. And he was discharged with COVID from the hospital. And so we met her in the park. had her open her trunk in the parking lot. That's how we did this, these things back then. Put the nebulizer and the solution, which we mixed up for him, back there in the trunk. And, you know, I with an instruction sheet. And I called and said, here's how to do it. Mm -hmm. He said the second dose, so there was two hours into it, um, he said his airways opened up. And he said he went from gasping for breath to feeling almost normal. And he said later that day, after about four or five treatments, he said he was breathing pretty much normally. And he called me later that day, the end of the day, and he started crying again and said, I really thought I was going to die. Now I don't. And it was just from nebulizing hydrogen peroxide. So it, it's a pretty powerful therapy. Um, that, I'm, I'm so astounded at that. And the fact that hospitals aren't doing that for their patients who are struggling breathing rather than venting them. You know, the prop, the one problem in defense of the hospitals and the doctors, nebulizing can spread a viral infection because um, you're breathing in and out and it's coming out in a mist. Now, the one thing I remember talking to doctors about, because I was getting calls from doctors around the country, especially in New York, New Jersey, and around Michigan, you know, they were, they were, they were reading my blogs when they were up. Um, and um, they were asking me, how do you do this? You know, I want this for my family. And they, the, the one thing they, against nebulizing in the hospital or a nursing home or anywhere where there's 
other potentially sick patients around, you could spread the illness. Now, what I told them was it's a nebulized hydrogen peroxide solution. Theoretically, hydrogen peroxide should kill coronavirus, and it's been shown to kill it uh, in vitro, I mean, in a test tube, but we don't know if it does it through nebulizing. There hasn't been a study, and I can't say that it does, but theoretically, it should. And I can tell you from people nebulizing at home, um, we never found a family member getting sick from them nebulizing, you know, in our, and we've treated, you know, over 107 patients now with it. Yeah, so, it, um, it, it seems to me that there could be really easy solutions to making sure that a nebulized patient doesn't spread to others in the hospital. I mean, we're talking about saving this patient's life cheaply, easily, quickly. And I mean, there's the wonderful product HOCL, the hypochlorid acid. I always forget how to pronounce that first part of it, but that's something your body also makes um, naturally and you can make it, it's electrolyzed salt water. And if they were just like to have some sort of mist sprayed, um, in the room and around the patient when they're being nebulized, it kills uh, coronavirus. There's just no way it would spread elsewhere. So I think that there, there are very good solutions to be able to use that. Um, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, I want to give you um, a minute here to give us your, you know, your final thoughts um, moving forward. What's next? Well, moving forward, we need a new direction. This direction is not working. Um, we need, we need to work on our immune systems, all of us. And you know, our country is, not in good shape. We weren't in good shape before coronavirus. It's just, just, just spelled it out for us how, how out of shape we are. You know, two thirds of us are obese or overweight. We have diabetes. We have hypertension. Too much heart disease. All that stuff. So this should be a wake up call. If you don't have a holistic doctor, find a holistic doctor who can help work with you. Um, look, I wrote. You can find the stuff I've written online, even though the FTC's made me take it down. It's all self explained. I wrote it. So people could do it themselves and mm -hmm. because everyone, you know, needed help and, you know, there wasn't enough help out there. So there is a way around this. I, there, and I kept writing the articles were titled, there is hope out there, number one, number two, number three, number four. There mm -hmm. is hope out there. there you is have hope. to find it. Um, and if your doctor is not giving you hope out there, find a new one. And a holistic doctor, you know, is more likely to give you hope out there than anybody. Exactly. I've been encouraging people go while you're well, go find a doctor, a, a good holistic doctor who can guide you to the right supplementation protocols for yourself, individualized to you, and who is there ready when you need them, should you get sick and they can guide you. And it, you feel so much more confident when you have somebody who's experienced like you guiding you through something. And with that, I just want to say thank you to listeners. Thank you, Dina Marie, for this awesome gift of time with people in Seattle. Next week, Friday, July 31st at 4 p.m. will be our very first and informed life radio. We have an amazing guest who I'm going to keep a little bit secret um, to keep things calm. It's very exciting, but go to informedchoicewa.org and find out more information. And I've got links to Dr. Brownstein um, on our radio tab at informedchoicewa.org. So this is 1150 AM KKNW, Lift Your Spirits Radio make it an informed day stay away